need your presence, Lord, to lead us and guide us in the new direction you have for us, Lord. Come on, come on. Say Waymaker, come on. He's a Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Y'all know it by now. I need to hear everybody in the house sing with me. Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. Sometimes if it doesn't check all the boxes, you you might not think it applies to you, but somebody may have only needed him to be a way maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you needed him to be a, a light in the darkness. Uh, yeah, yeah. How about just a miracle worker? Yeah, yeah. But he's my God. A promise keeper. That's who he is. Hey, but what a blessing if you can call all the names. verse on the line. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Knee scooter. Come on now. Yeah. He's a knee scooter. Yeah. Whatever you need him to be. Yeah. Food in the refrigerator. Yeah. 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 Bill payer. Amen. Come on amen. Now. Amen. He's a back patter when you're by yourself. Come on now. Put your own thing on there. Good credit. That is who you are. Come on now. Whatever you need him to be. Don't limit my God. Don't limit my God. Now you can limit your God, but don't limit my God. He can be everything you need him to be. Yeah. My God. Y'all done started something to get this morning. Yeah. Light in the dark. God, I want to Father, we love you. Oh, how we love you. How we yearn to know you more. We can only get to know you better as circumstances in life come upon us. We just ask you to be with us. When we turn the corner on a new circumstance, Lord, we fully expect that we can count on you to be there. 
We don't even know who else could possibly, that could possibly be to call on. But we can call on you, Lord. So we thank you for being God and as we said, God all by yourself. We don't need anyone else. And now we ask you, Lord, to continue to be all those things that we just called out and more. Bless this celebration of your word. Help the exclamation of your word to be informative, to be instructive, to be encouraging, to be excited. Help it to do all the things that we needed to do right now. You can make it personal for each one of us, including the one speaking. Forgive me for any sin, anything that's in me that hinders even a letter going out wrong, Father. I'm asking you, let your grace cover that. We thank you for all who are sitting here. We thank you for everyone who's anywhere listening to this now or later help it to be a benefit to them. We live in an on-demand, in an in-demand or on-demand society, Lord, and I'm asking you, whenever the need arises, be that God. Whenever the prayer is uttered, be the hearer and the responder of that prayer. In fact, God, you're so good, you can bless us before we even speak a prayer. We thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and saved us before we ever were. And who is blessing babies yet unborn. That's the God who loves us. We thank you. We adore you. We lift this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Last week we started a series and we told you we were going to talk about our spiritual growth. Our spiritual growth and the different stages of growing. And while I realize if I ask for a, hand, a show of hands right now, I bet each one of you could tell me in some discernible way how you've grown since you became a believer. Yeah, I bet you could say, well, I do this now. I didn't always do this. That's a celebration of your movement forward. But I came to tell you today that God intends for growth to be deliberate. Doesn't all happen at the same time. Of course, there's a process. But I also came to dispel a notion that we have about our spiritual growth, Casanova. I think it's a big one too. And I think it removes some pressure from us. It's not your job to grow yourself. Yeah. Say that one more time. It's not your job to grow yourself. That's not how it works. A flower doesn't make itself grow. A tomato doesn't make itself grow. No, so it is with us. We don't make ourselves grow. But from a spiritual standpoint, there are things that we can do to support the growth that we do have. We're going to talk about those on today. That's some cultivation. That's a big word. 
cultivation in our heart that's conducive for effective growth. But let's talk about how that works. <clears throat> There's a passage of scripture found in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. I'd love to see you looking forward in, in your Bibles. I'd love to see you doing that. Um, while I fully expect that in a moment it'll be displayed, learn how to find it in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. You'll let me read it for you. Unusually, I hear pages turning. <laughs> so we'll wait. We'll wait. That's a blessing hearing pages turn. If you got it, say amen. Still look and be honest and say not yet. <laughs> All right. First Corinthians chapter three, verses five through nine. Paul wrote, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. Somebody ought to underline that right there. That's a powerful verse. We are, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. How many of you have ever looked at God as your co-worker? Your co-worker. You got to rethink that word. Now you got to scrub co-worker in your mind because some of us don't even like our co-workers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you start thinking about God as your co-worker. That mess up the whole time. God is our co-worker. But it says clearly, it defines it further, in God's service. God's service. Yeah. We had a powerful testimony last Sunday. I only hate that I, I didn't have enough forethought to have it more integrated into the service than just at the end. It was uh, the Holy Spirit struck Deacon Bear. And, and for those of you who were here and heard it, some of you may not have been here which only makes this better. But Deacon Barrett came up as we were doing the benediction and said that uh, he had been moved to tell his testimony. And his testimony, I think, is an, uh, a vivid illustration on how God grows people. For the benefit of those who were not here, Deacon Barrett is a today, I think if I say it this way, you'll, it'll be more perspective enhancing. Today, Deacon Barrett is the supervising administrative law judge here in, in, in this district. Yeah, supervising administrative law judge, federal administrative law judge. That's where he is now. But that comes from a background of having had, what's the word, struggles. I think to law school was fine, came through law school fine. But he, he had some struggles with the bar exam. 
those of you who do not know, the bar exam for attorneys in Alabama is three days long. All right, three days long. When I was testing, and I believe when he was testing, it was, it was two days of essay questions on different subject matters. And then on the third day, you would have a, a, a day of like 100 multiple choice questions. Yeah. I've seen folk almost pass out. Now it's two days. 200 now. 200. It may have been 200 then. I forgot. It's been 30 years. Um, at any rate, Deacon Barrett, when he tested, did not pass. And this is business that he testifies on. Did not pass the first six times he took it. Now, at the time, they had a limit on the number of times you could take, you could take it. Because when I say limit, a certain amount of time had to pass after you didn't pass it a couple of times, a few times. So it took him four years to pass the bar exam. Now, let me say this about the bar exam. The bar exam uh, does not determine what kind of lawyer you are. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't, it doesn't. Um, the bar exam is simply the, the hurdle the bar, the state bar association uses to admit new lawyers. And whenever you pass the bar exam, you're in. And except you do something crazy to get it taken or wrong to get it taken, you can be licensed for the rest of your life. You never have to take another exam. All you have to do really is keep up to, up to date on current affairs, which is no testing in that. So he passes the bar exam after six trials and he starts to practice. How long was it before you became an administrative law judge? All right, so he practiced for a while. Lots of experience in the chosen field. Um, practicing in front of the people who now <laughs> doing the same thing he's doing now. So he was doing a lot of writing, I'm assuming, in that job. So much so that he got to a place that it was obvious that he could become the judge here in the cases since he was probably writing a brief for him anyway. <laughs> and that's what happened. But that's not the testimony part. That's part of his testimony, how God has blessed him. So God allowed him to get over that hurdle, but he also instilled in him a desire to help other people who were having difficulty taking the bar exam. And so he created an organization to help people prepare for the bar exam, and he calls them Lawyer Maker. That's the name of his company, Lawyer Maker. And he simply helps people prepare for the bar exam. Those areas that uh, he had difficulties with, he makes sure they don't have no, if they follow his, if they follow his course of study, they'll pass. They'll pass. That's been the case for the most part. All right. And his success rate has been so phenomenal. In the last bar exam, he had seven people pass. Seven people. Now, these are people who had failed the bar exam before. So the fruit that comes from God planting Mason in the space that he's planted him in the legal field, he's been planted there. God has caused such phenomenal growth of this plant. Not Mason, not Deacon Barrett, but God has caused such phenomenal growth that the fruit of his efforts now pan off literally across the nation. Yeah, there are fruit from this tree that are planting seeds in other areas so other people are being benefited and the fruit is feeding other lawyers and their families all because God blessed him. That's spiritual growth. I think Deacon Barrett will be the first one to tell you he didn't do it. He couldn't do it. There's no one but God that graced him with the ability to do that. Now, why, why do you say that? Because all he did was 
be obedient to the Lord. The Lord planted him in the right place. And he has helped cultivate the area that he's been in such that there were no distractions or pestilence or problems that prevented him from being the best tree uh, he could be. Yeah, tons of delicious fruit are coming from this lawyer tree, all because God has blessed him. And so we use the analogy of the tree that we talked about. Remember last time we talked about the tree that was planted by the, uh, the rivers of living water and, and, and how being there allows for it to be continuously refreshed. We can also apply this to our own lives. And I don't know that you look at your life this way, but I want you to start looking at your life this way. I want you to start looking at God being the one who is bringing you the source of your nourishment. And when he brings you the source of your nourishment, what are you doing to cultivate the area around it? Now, it just so happens that Mason's area is the law. But what is yours? You don't have to even have a job for God to be blessing you in this area. It certainly doesn't have to be anything. Um, um, uh, it doesn't have to. People think it, it has to be a certain category. It can be anywhere doing anything because Paul just said, it, we're looking at the workers in the field and how they help. First question he said was, who is Paul? This is him writing it now. Paul said, who am I? And who is Apollo? So those of you who don't know in this verse we just read, Apollo was just another minister. Just another minister in the church. So it's important, you need to understand, it's important for you to know that it's God who's in charge of the growth process. He makes it happen. He is the one who allows for exponential growth. You see some people, they grow so fast. You ever seen two children, they're the same age, go, go away for the summer, come back, one of them is a foot taller than the other one. There's nothing that either one of them could have done. They ate the same plums in the summer. They ate the same watermelon. <laughs> they ran the same sweat, the same. They did all the same. They went to bed at the same time. Yeah, one grew a foot more than the other. And there's nothing that either one of them could have done. Both of them are going to come back at the end of the summer and have, and have issues with it. All right? The one who grew a whole lot, I hear you, David. The one who grew a whole lot... <laughs> is going to be a little self-conscious because he's now a foot taller than everybody else in his class. And so there's some issues associated with that. And then the one who didn't grow at all is going to have some other issues because he didn't grow. And everybody else grew more than him. But neither one of them could control the process of making it happen. It was all on God's choosing and doing and for his purpose. The question is, how do I grow into this and become what God wants me to be? Now, I, I chose height, but it could also be academics. It can be every other aspect of your life. One comes out of the summer more confident talking to girls than the other at a certain point. Yeah, he's not afraid to have those conversations. And so he tends to associate now more at a certain age. Guys stop hanging with guys all the time. And every now and then, girls start coming into the picture and vice versa. Vice versa. In fact, there's more vice than versa right now. I mean, it's, just, it's a problem. But that's what happens. That growth comes and the confident comes. And so that brings to my first point. I want you to understand growth is not by human hands. All right. We're talking about this today. I said spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. Growth is not by human hands. It's not. It's not. Uh, how many of y'all grew up, anybody in here beside me grew up reading comic books? Yeah, looking at them anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Only the two lawyers in here, right? <laughs> no. Grow up reading comic books. Yeah. Well, that was, that was, that was this uh, ad that was in seemingly every comic book about the skinny little man who, who would take this 
is it was an Atlas weightlifting course or whatever. And if he did it exactly, if he bought the plan and did exactly uh, what they told him, then he wouldn't be the one at the beach getting sand kicked in his face. And, uh, and so all of us looked at that. We were indoctrinated to believe that there was something we could physically do. We could buy this package and use this weightlifting equipment and all this. And, and if we did it exactly right, we would, in fact, be big and tough like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that was always the, the example we had. And it just didn't work. It just didn't work. The only thing you found out you had at the end of the period of time was less money. <laughs> less money because there's just some people who are going to have a certain body type. And we figured that out because it's not up to you. God does what he wants to do with it. So in the early church, we see a whole lot of issues that the church is trying to solve using human ability. And Paul spends a lot of time in his letters to the church at Corinth, the first and the second letter to the church at Corinth, the epistles, trying to dispel this way of thinking. See, he's got to run the flesh out the church so the spirit can take precedence. We still have that problem now. We still go around now thinking that there's something we did to live a certain lifestyle or be a certain way, and that when folk don't get to that level, then they did something wrong. And when you, when you hear yourself thinking like that, then you need to think back to Job and his friends. All right? Because his friends were convinced that Job had to have seen. There must have been something going on in your life, Job, that made God bring this affliction or these problems on you. And Job, at the outset of the drama, was said to be a righteous man. All right. And so just because things have happened in your life does not mean that God is visiting bad luck on you or bad circumstances on you. It simply means that that's, the, the, that's what life has brought you. All right. And the question is, how do you respond to it? One of the specific arguments that they had in the church at the uh, church at Corinth was who you ought to be listening to. Now, this is very relevant. Yeah, who you ought to be listening to. Which preacher is the better? Which teacher is the better? And Paul had to come in and step in Lindbergh and tell them, you got folk in Apollo's camp. They walk around with Apollo's t-shirts on. You know, I listen to Apollo. You got folk running around with Paul t-shirts on. You got some folk walking around who are uh, uh, in, in Paul Apollos. You know, they want to listen to both of them because they can't make a decision. They are, in a sense, rooting for each, for one of the teams or another. And, you know, they, you know, I don't come to church when Apollos is preaching. This is what these folk are saying and doing, and Paul has gotten wind of it. And he's trying to straighten them out, and that's still happening right now. Come on now. There's some folk who are confused in their local church. COVID has messed up some folk. COVID has messed up some folk. They have messed up their spiritual diet because they were used to a steady diet of solid Bible teaching from a particular place. And then they started going to a buffet of preaching. And the buffet of preaching has allowed them to put a little morsel from here and a little morsel from here and a little morsel from here on their plate. And not all of those things on their plates agree. And some of it has caused them spiritual indigestion. So much so that they now start questioning their core teaching at their own church. And they find themselves in a spiritual uh, state of confusion. And some of them got spiritual stomach aches. Oh, they do. Because they've been eating too much stuff from different places. What they need to do is, I uh, uh, have seen a doctor about a couple of things recently. And some doctors will tell you that medicine isn't always what you need to correct a health problem. Especially one in some areas like diabetes. They might tell you straight up, if you want to get this under control, you need to have a, am I right, a a a Amy, healthy diet. 
A healthy diet will throw these numbers back into the right range and help you get things going. And the reason why some folk have a confused life is because you don't have a healthy spirit, spiritual diet. Yeah, you need some solid, make sure it's solid, make sure it's sound, but you don't have to listen to five preachers every Sunday. You don't. You just, you just need to make sure you have a good one that you can hear and learn from. That doesn't mean that every now and then you can't listen to other folks. Because I do. I'm fed by other people too, but not as my main supply. All right? Spiritual growth is not by human hands. You're not going to get so much more spiritual because you listen to Preacher X every Sunday. Yeah. It, 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 he might deliver it differently. It might, be, it might be entertaining. And today I might say, she might give it to you in a thrilling way. But that doesn't mean you grow exponentially because you hear that. Might be more productive in helping people. Might have a larger church. He's got to be good because he's got 10,000 people in his church. But what you don't know is he ain't writing his sermons. There's a team that's writing his sermons every week. What you don't understand is all the bells and whistles, he just steps up to the telepump and goes for it. Because he has, this, he has the gift of exhortation. But he does not understand. He's not He's not delving into the research to find that. And I'm not knocking anybody, but I want you to understand how some meals are made. All right? Yeah, let me see if I can give it to you like this. Uh, a new phenomenon in our area is called ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens. Oh, yeah, it's going to blow your mind. Some of y'all who use delivery service at your home like a particular restaurant. And so you order from the restaurant. What you do not understand is your food ain't coming from that restaurant sometimes. Your food is coming from a ghost kitchen that does the cooking for a bunch of restaurants. All right? They just use the recipe to make them nachos just like you like it. And then they slap it in a Taco Bell bag. And send it, but the kitchen ain't got no dot, there's no marketing anywhere. It's just a kitchen. It's called a ghost kitchen. It's the biggest phenomenon, and people gonna get rich because now they don't have to have a Taco Bell that's set up for delivery. They can, and I'm saying Taco Bell, Lord knows, don't let me disparage them. It could be any restaurant. Mostly it's the top end restaurants that can afford this. But some of us are getting fed spiritually from ghost churches. Yeah, there's a group of folk out there putting together these messages and then pushing it over to a minister. And he's using it that way. Get fed by a good supply. But know that your spiritual growth comes from the Lord and not because you are in Birmingham and a member of a church in another place. There's nothing wrong with that. But you got to depend on the Lord for your spiritual growth and stop. This is the word that dooms us, comparing. Comparison, yes, is the death of growth. Yeah, it harms you because you can't properly compare any of these men or women that are delivering because we all come to the table with our own stories and God is supplying us with what we need. So you should not be comparing people. Not only that, you are God's field. You are. And so with the seed we are planting, we are planting in your and you. You're the field. The question becomes, what are you doing to aid God in cultivating your field? Now, here we go. You're not going to be happy with me when I tell you these things because you have a role to play. And you must ask yourself, am I doing all that I need to do? First of all, you got to be wise in your approach to learning more about him. 
more about him. I just told you part of that wisdom, wisdom means that I, I don't need to be taken in from everybody. I, I need to be aware of who comes in and, and preaches when I'm not here. I, I don't need to bring just anybody in who's going to throw anything at you because that's not feeding you properly. That, that's not it. What parent would leave their child with someone while they're away and not know how that person is going to treat their child when they're gone? That, that's the same thing. What preacher, what pastor would leave the flock and not know how they'll be tended when they're away? That's essential that you have an awareness of who's going to be feeding and keeping them and that they not mistreat the flock. You got to love Jesus like we do. And, and the only way you can do that is to know the people come and eat. Yeah. You also got to dedicate yourself to doing some things. If your method of Bible reading is listening to me reading the Bible to you on Sunday, then you're not doing enough Bible reading. You got to do it yourself. You got to pick it up. And it doesn't matter what your level of reading is. You may not be a fast reader or a strong leader, a reader, or you may not understand it all. Read it at your pace. Read it at your pace. If you decide I'm going to read a Bible verse a day, that's your business. That's your business. Read that Bible verse in that day. Meditate on it that day. And then the next day you come read another one. And it ain't nobody's business when you stand around talking to folk and they say, well, you know, I've been reading it through the Bible this year. That's them. That doesn't have anything to do with you. You got to cultivate your field and get you together. You also need to regularly be in a space where other believers are. Now, what does that mean? Because it's almost taboo to talk about that these days because we have gotten to a place now where people think that you can grow without being around other believers. And I'm here to tell you, you may, but it's going to be exponentially harder for you to grow. Why is that? Because I can't even tell you all the intangibles that come about by just being around y'all. Just being near you helps me to be better in my walk, not as a pastor, as a person. Being around you makes me stronger. Your story of, hey, how was your week? How was your week? It was good. It was good. And then you start telling me what happened to you. Your story is an encouragement to me that lets me know that even though in my field, I thought it was kind of blase week. I realize that God is blessing for real over here. That's an encouragement. And if God is blessing for real over here with you, then I have every validation and expectation that he'll continue to bless me too. Not only that, you might not even tell me what happened to you. It might be your coworker or your friend or whatever, but those stories help. How about just being around other people who have faith in God is an encouragement. I'm Tired of sitting around folk who are faithless all week, who say that stuff is going to always be negative. Sometimes you want to go, not where everybody knows your name, but where everybody knows his name. That's important that you can get in that space. And so you can say what you want about coming to a worship service. You're going to be better by sitting in a church with folk who believe than you are by yourself. It helps to be there. One log can't burn like a whole lot of logs can. You need to put your log on the fire and come on in here. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and you can take it for what it's worth. You can hold out as long as you want, but the issues we have in our community aren't going anywhere. They're not. You'll mess around and wait until you have the courage. Let me tell you how the enemy plays with your head. You'll say, I'm not going until I... I really feel comfortable in the very week you decide you're going to be comfortable. The news going to start saying stuff about another strain of COVID has been talked about. Why? Because they don't want, they don't want you to come into this space. They don't want us collectively stronger. Why? Because us being separated weakens the body of Christ. Oh yeah, it makes us weaker. And so the more we can stay apart, and I know you say, well, I can get it on church. You can get it on, on virtual. We're going to keep on putting it there, too, because we know we've been able to reach and continue to sustain people who we never would have seen come through the door. We know that. But it's not the same. It's not the same. 
I'm saying if you can get here, you ought to get here. You ought to get here and you ought to celebrate. And if you get here, you'll see the difference. More than I can tell you. And lastly, you need to also understand that you need to constantly evaluate your own life. Find out what your sin is. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, because you got some. Yeah, we do. We got some things we do that we don't want nobody else to know about. And we think certain certain ways sometimes. And we need to evaluate ourselves. We need to cultivate and get the rocks out of our garden. We need to make sure that we're not talking crazy, thinking crazy, acting crazy. Yeah, the cussing you do in your head is still cussing. But you don't want nobody to know about it. And all I'm telling you is that's in your feet. Right, listen, I'm not telling you anything I'm not doing. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm struggling in these areas too. But it's part of us to keep the pestilence off. Once you plant roses out there, look at them coming up out there. I told you they had cut it all the way back. You wait. God is going to put enough sunshine and enough rain out there. You're going to come up here one Sunday and say, my God. How you blessed. Not only that, you see them bees? They're helping too. God's got everybody on point. Everybody works for God, including the bees. And, and what you're going to find is, as you continue to grow, and that God allows you to identify pestilence before it comes. Don't you know every plant has a way to repel pestilence from it? God gives it that ability. You also need to know that in God's field, growth is not an option. Some of us don't feel like we've grown at all. Well, that's, that's, that's not possible. That is not possible if you're in God's field. It's not possible for you to be in the same exact space that you've been in since you were planted in his field. Oh, no, that doesn't happen. I can take you to a fig tree that wasn't productive, and God had, Jesus had something to say about that fig tree. And I'm telling you, that if you can sit here and tell me that God has been giving you the sunshine and the rain and God's been giving you the water and the nutrients and you haven't grown from that, then it's not a matter of God blessing you. It's a matter of your perspective on him blessing you. It's a matter of your attitude and not his blessing. It's how you look at life. You ever seen anybody, they put a stake down in front of them. And the first thing they say is it look burnt up. They haven't tasted it. They don't know anything about how it is, but they're already grumbling. That's not something wrong with the state. That's something wrong with how you look at the state. And that's how life is sometimes. You just got a grumble in your heart. And when you start getting a grumble in your heart, you better be careful because that'll take root too. And that will take, choke the life out of the good. It's called a weed. Don't have a spirit of weed in your life. How do I know this? Because look at this. Because we could be moving on further, but you won't allow it. Paul said this to the church of Corinth, uh, verses 1 and 2. He said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Ooh. Ooh. Mere infants in Christ. Now, I'm gonna tell you, let me say something to you. There's a word in English literature that is not a positive word when folks start applying it to you. It's one you probably overlook. When they start applying the word mere to you, M-E-R-E, -E, mere is a pejorative term. That's a negative term. Uh, yeah, mere, mere infants in Christ means, if we're going to put it in our current context, is uh, you ain't never little children. That's all. You're just a little child is what he's saying. And that is not that is not a positive when it comes to dealing with adults. He's in an adult setting writing to adults and saying, I can't talk to you as adults. I've got to talk to you as little bitty children. That's offensive. And he wrote it. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food. In other words, I'm already dumbing this down for you. I'm writing it down to your level because, and, and, and sometimes 
The reason why we like all that other kind of preaching is because it's right there where we want it to be. I heard one preacher say that one congregation he preached to loved to hear who shot John. But they don't want to talk about who crucified Jesus. Yeah, always want to hear the street jump. Make it plain. But they don't want to hear the truth of the matter. And what Paul is saying is the same thing right here. He's saying you're not ready for solid food. Everybody in here had to grow physically from just milk to solid food. And spiritually, it's the same way. At some point, I ought to be able to come into a congregation and just preach a sermon on justification without a whole lot of explanation on justification or just sanctification. And at some point, Paul is saying, I can't do that because I can't explain to you all the theories associated with what God has done for us. And you think that it should be the preacher's creativity that should help you understand that's not so. That's not so. By a show of hands, how many of y'all have ever walked into a classroom when you were growing up and the first thing the teacher said to you was, did y'all do your homework? By a show of hands, who did your homework? That's what the, preacher, that's what the teacher would say. And based on that response, he or she would know how they could teach their class. Because if you didn't do your homework, then you don't have a foundation to receive the lesson that I'm about to teach to you. And so she does the next best thing. She says, time for a pop quiz. Yeah, which was not going to happen if you had done your homework. Yeah, the pop quiz was a default. And you know what it's designed to do? Make sure next time you do your homework so that you know every time we don't do our homework, she's going to give us a pop quiz. That's what teachers do. Did I just let the cat out of the bag there? Yes, I did. That's a point. That's to drive you to a positive response. Yeah, so that I can keep on my lesson plan. That's how they do that. And so here we are, not ready for solid food, just ready for milk. And then he threw a whole, ooh, he threw some shade at the end of this verse. If you haven't read this, he was throwing some serious shade. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready yet for it. And then the last part of the verse, he said, and you still ain't ready. Whoa. Whoever was reading that scroll should have said, oh my God, he just slapped us. Why? Because we haven't been doing our homework. We haven't been doing what we needed to do. And so Paul is communicating that everybody that's struggling in that church congregation, that early church congregation that he spent so much time writing to and through them is writing to us, is still struggling with the basics of belief when I'm ready to take you on a higher, deeper quest with the Lord, but you're not ready for it. And when you get ready for it, then I'll preach. This preacher who preached the same sermon every Sunday. One of the deacons finally got up the nerve to say, Reverend, you didn't preach that sermon about five times in a row. What's going on? You know, he said, we, we, he said, well, when you do what I said, this one, I move on to another one. That's why I keep teaching the same thing over and over again. Look this, in order for growth to be right, the right environment has to be in place. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says that, so, so then, just as you have received Christ, you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. First time, first thing in this passage is you need to understand you have to approach every learning opportunity in the Bible, in scripture, as if it's your first time, all right? Sometimes we get too familiar in our studies, and we miss the learning opportunity. And what he's saying is approach each teaching opportunity, each learning opportunity, like the first time, like the first time, and have the same enthusiasm as the first time. Have the same uh, energy as the first time. Continue to push. Paul is saying, do the things you were doing when the gospel was first planted in you. 
But we move beyond that. We move beyond that. I've heard some folk, one member told me that she had been to church enough. I said, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been to church enough, is what she said. In other words, there have been enough Sundays to go by. She didn't need to go to church anymore in her life. And I, to, to this day, don't understand that. Because it seems to me you've missed the whole point of being in the fellowship. But to say she, she was dead serious that she had been to church enough. And some of us believe that we've learned enough. But we don't need another teaching opportunity. We don't need to sit in a space where somebody's teaching to us something we don't know. You've heard enough Sunday school. You've heard enough BTU. You've heard enough of these things. And can I tell you, there is not a teaching time when I teach that I don't learn something. And I can't imagine that there's a time if you've not heard these teachings that you don't learn something too, if you approach it with the right amount of time. My wife and I were having a conversation recently and she asked me what part of church fellowship and gathering that have I missed the most? And honestly, honestly, the part I missed the most has been the intimacy of Bible study on Wednesday when we come together. We've done that for, I enjoy, of course, the worship service, but I don't get a chance to get into a conversation with everybody in the worship service. I basically come in and do what I do, and then I speak to a few people, and that's it. But in Bible study, in Bible study, there's a more intimate setting. People are asking questions and people are, you know, there's a back and forth with people and there's laughter and it's not just me talking. And that's what I miss. And I, like I said, whether it was a handful or a room full, we had the same kind of conversation with folk. And that's the part that I miss. And I don't know how soon or if ever we'll get back to that kind of setting. Well, we had that, and that to me is a loss, a loss. Uh, and it's a loss not just for me, that's personal. It's a loss for you too, because that's when you start learning, folks. You sit in there and you listen to some people's questions and what they say, and you learn people different. You say, I, I never would have thought they would have been thinking like that, or just to look at them, you wouldn't think they were coming that way. And, and, and I love that we had that interplay, right environment. I'm missing that. We'll do all we can to cultivate it and try to get it back. I'm telling you, you'll hear something soon saying we're back in we're back in a congregational setting for Bible study. I think that's important that we do it. We'll try. Then the question becomes, will you put yourself in that space uh, when we do it? Continue living in him. In him. Continue living in him. Don't isolate yourself and think that you're just a repository for information. The reason why we come to Bible study and we learn, the reason why we pray and why we study is so we can grow in him, not externally. And so we have to be willing to scrutinize and evaluate the environment that we're trying to grow up in. And then the last thing is the hard thing, and that's learn how to take the adversity that comes in your life and see it as a growth opportunity. Yes, a growth opportunity. You know, they say if you go to certain trees and cut them down, Casanova, that you can tell the whole life cycle of that tree. The forester tells me that that's exactly true. You can cut it down and the rings in the tree, which I guess is a buildup of the outer bark on that tree, will tell you the things that happen. So you can cut it down, you start counting the rings in the tree, and you can tell approximately how old that tree is, how long it's been living. But you can also tell stuff that happened in the tree. You can see, you see this ring here, the way it is, that was a fire. Yeah, but what I love about that, what I love about that teaching from the ring on the tree is there's a scab that formed and then new growth came. Yeah, and then you can see this is the victory and I, I need to tell you, I can look at some of y'all right now and I can tell from your lives that there was a, something that happened in your life and a scab formed. But what I also love about it was new growth came on top of it. And so, yeah, I see here in year five, there was a fire. But Cass, I'm counting 10 more rings beyond year five. And I see that God blessed you to continue to grow and even beyond the point that there was a fire. And I came to tell y'all today, bad things happen in your life. Can't change it. 
But if you look at the rings in your tree of life, you can see that God has blessed you beyond that time. Kept, kept on giving you the nourishment. Kept on giving you the right water. Kept on bringing the right sunshine in your life. What the clock saying? You brought the sunshine in my life. He's, they're saying that all the time. And I came to tell you right now, even though it seems dim sometimes, he's still a God who brings the sunshine in your life. So learn how to count adversity as a part of the growth cycle. It will make a difference in your life. The book of James tells us pretty clearly, you've heard it before, to consider it. He says in the King James Version, count it all joy. Count it all joy whenever you face the trials that come of many kinds, and many kinds of, of, of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. It's a big word. It, tells, it teaches you how to stick to something. And one of the things that I'm struggling with with this generation that we have now is we don't teach them how to go through something. We always try to block them from something so that they don't, have to, they don't have to deal with it. Can I tell you something? Teaching children how to persevere, how to fight through a problem is the biggest gift you can give them in life, all right? Because you're not going to always be there to help them get through it. If you teach them how to persevere, if you, if you teach them how to take a lick, you don't want them to take a lick, but you want them to learn how to get up after the lick is given. Don't just lay there. Get up and keep on moving. You also don't want them to hit back all the time. The worst thing they can do. And I tell you on the football field, whenever there's a problem, it's the second one that always get in trouble, not the first one. The referee always see the one who retaliates. Much of the time it's like that in life. You get in more trouble for retaliating than you do for what happens to you on the front end. Every, every time you get hit is not a situation that you have to hit back. Jesus taught us that. He said, learn how to turn the other cheek. Perseverance is so important. I also want you to know this, that it's in adversity that you really learn how to pray. Oh, yeah, when you're scared by yourself, when you're lonely, when it seems like you don't have everything you need. Anybody ever been down to that last dollar's last dollar? Yeah, the last one. I'm talking about the one you hear from yourself that you had to go find. Because you didn't have no more. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's when you learn how to pray. You start praying, Lord, please help me to remember another one that I hid somewhere. That's when you learn how to pray. That's when you learn how to get closer to the Lord. That's when you learn. Songwriter said, I learned to lean on him. Yeah. Trust in him. That's right. Because what he will provide. I learned those things, but it's through adversity that you come closer to that kind, that kind of growth. The plant finds how strong he is, not on the sunshiny day when the wind is blowing softly. The plant finds how strong he is on the day when the storm is about him, when the fierce gale is assaulting him. That's when you realize that your roots are deep. That's when you realize that you can stand through a storm. And I came to tell you right now, it's the same way with you. You want to know if your faith has grown, wait till the next storm comes in your life. That's the test of what's going on. And I'm not wishing a storm on you. We live in Alabama. We need to know that. I ain't got to wish no storm on you. All we got to do is wake up the next day and we can have this day today. And tomorrow they'll be on there. Mickey Ferguson will be on there talking about there's a tornado watch this evening. Not only a tornado watch, it will have a, a surprise snow shower in April. Why? Because we live in a place when that kind of thing happens. Don't you know it's like that in your life too? Yeah. Weather won't always be fair. But God will always bless you through it all. And you'll learn to lean on him and trust him. I came to tell you today that growth is not your responsibility. It's God's responsibility, but you have to do the things that are necessary to grow. Somebody here today has not given their life to the Lord. You have not allowed him to become the master husbandman in your garden. You've not allowed him to become the master gardener in your life. Today is the day. If you found out that Jesus Christ is the one who can bless you, bless you, bless you. 
with all that you need, then I urge you to today to give your life to him. Maybe you've never been baptized, and today is the opportunity for you to accept his gift of salvation, and we'll baptize you. Maybe you've been looking for a church family. You discovered something about this church that calls you, draws you, and I urge you to try us. I won't, I won't sit here and tell you that you won't find any issues because there are people in here. Sometimes we bring our issues to church with us, and I think that's good. But I tell you, we'll work through it. We'll work through it. So as, 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 as we sing this song, the doors of our church are wide open. Maybe somebody online is needing somewhere. Call their own. Today's the day you ought to trust in us to become part of our family. Whosoever will, let them come right now.